Hello, this is Leslie Groffa Tenzer, and this is Legal Tenzer, casual conversations on noteworthy legal topics. Followers of this podcast and my podcast, Law to Fact, know I am a bit obsessed with pop culture. And when it merges with the law, well, to me, there's nothing better. Today, my guest, noted corporate professor Joe McLeod Hemingway, the Rick Rose Distinguished Professor of Law from the University of Tennessee College of Law, is here to share her take on the legal realities of succession and to discuss a little bit about her new course next semester, Governance, Finance, and HBO Max's Succession. Thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here to talk about such fun things. <laughs> so much fun. I know. It's nice to talk about fun things right now. So for those who haven't watched Succession, first, I'll say you should. And secondly, I'll say it's a little bit of a Romana clap about the Murdoch family, I would say. And it's all about who should succeed in this media empire. How does that help us learn corporate law or business law? There's so much in there. It's really hard to even answer that question. Uh, the characters, I think, are great launch pads for talking about the way that humans interact within business structures that are governed by law. And that, to me, is where uh, where the fun begins, right? Because real people do things with these, this law that's on the page, whether it's statutory law for business associations or litigation surrounding that, whether it's a corporate finance transaction that involves securities regulation, uh, basically all of that kind of law is emoted by real people, right, in life. So uh, if you really want to teach the practical application of law, there are lots of ways to do it. But one way is to use a pop culture experience like this to be able to bring out those characters, those real people. And maybe they're not real, yes, based in reality, but uh, like soap operas that I think take individual things that happen to different people and smoosh them all into one person and into one episode. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't yeah. happen quite that fast, right? Yeah. In life, they're mm -hmm. real, but they don't necessarily happen that fast or in exactly that way. But because someone has manipulated them, that gives us, I think, as instructors, a way of teaching even more out of one, for example, short film clip or one episode than you could possibly teach about a real life incident in a case. Um, so it's it compacts the facts for us in our mm -hmm. legal analysis, you know, and we're going to take those rules and apply them to those facts and figure out what the what the right answers are. So I really like it for the application of the black letter law in real life. Even though you know, it's I think real. it make it. I think that's so interesting, and I want to talk a little bit more about it. But I, I'm sure you noticed this too. A lot of movies take cases and turn them into part of their story. So, like if you've ever seen the movie Memento, there's a there's a, a case in that that I teach in criminal law, things like that, which is super cool. What are what's one story or one anecdote from Succession that you might bring into class that offers up um, a worthy discussion? I'm going to give you a storyline because I'm actually writing an essay about it now, but then we can poke into some other specific stories within that. For me, one of the things that jumps out as I, or jumped out even as I was watching the episodes in all four seasons, mm -hmm. was the conflict that family members feel between their personal and their business affairs. So mm -hmm. that brings to mind immediately from a legal standpoint, fiduciary duties. We have to remember that a lot of these family members that are vying for, you know, if we want to call it that, at various points in time, um, the right to succeed to senior management in this business are people who also at the same time have very personal and individual interests, not just vis-a-vis -vis each other, but in some cases, they're looking at alternative transactions 
that the company is going to engage in with them as individuals when they're still serving as officers and directors oh, of the of of mm-hmm. uh, Waystar Royco. So mm-hmm. um, to me, that's that's the baldest, and that's that's in several different episodes um, and in several different ways. But that's the baldest breach of fiduciary duty. But there's a lot more there, just generally the whole family infighting uh, that leads to individuals doing things that are, I would say, um, not necessarily a great exercise of their duty of care, you know, Mm -hmm. not bringing things to a board meeting and fully informing the board of things that they should be doing are things that happen really throughout all four seasons. So my essay is going to be uh, showing how that all those incidents in in one place and also separate and apart from that, uh, a family in Massachusetts that I had some when I was practicing law in Massachusetts had some engagement with the Demoulis family, um, how there are parallels there. Uh, because of succession issues and family issues, mm-hmm. and how the how the Roy family could have, but but won't learn from the Demoulis's problems. Oh, that's, oh, that's so, interesting. Yeah. So, so when I I don't want to do any spoiler alerts. Uh, spoiler alerts. Yes, that's what you call it. Um, but one of the things that I found intriguing was the youngest son, Roman, who felt this un this incredible loyalty to his father but also wanted to fit in with his siblings. And so he was playing both against each other. What kind of laws would he break? If we were to sue him for breach of fiduciary duty to Roystar, assuming he worked for Roystar at the time, what, what would we find? What would we do with him? So his, um, you know, again, there are questions here of loyalty. Um, and in certain cases, his actions might be bad faith actions, which under Delaware law, we never learn, by the way, whether Waystar Royco is a Delaware corporation. We sort of assume it is because right. it's a public company. Um, but Delaware fiduciary duty law is scripted and labeled a little differently than it is in a lot of other jurisdictions. So bad faith becomes a duty of loyalty problem in Delaware. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he is not always looking out for the best interest of the corporation. He is looking out for the best interest of himself, exactly. right? Exactly. <laughs> That's the core. And I think it, at various points in time, that happens to all of the siblings. And that happens to Tom as the outsider who's married in and involved in the business as well. So, um, you know, I don't think any of that is a spoiler alert, but look out for all all the kids, with one exception, maybe, the oldest child who... Mm-hmm doesn't seem to want to really have any part of the business, but all of those who are vying for succession and also Tom as acting in self-interest, not always in in self-interest with respect to another business, as I described earlier, but really um, self-interest as in me, 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 whether it's me, me, me for succession, me, me, me for love, me, me, me for whatever it is. Right. Um, and Roman is a fascinating character in, in all four seasons. And um that we're going to raise in in the course that I'm teaching next semester, some professional responsibility issues too, relating to the general counsel and some things that happened between Roman and the general counsel that I can't really bring into the classroom, but I have to figure out a way to, to get some of that into the classroom without showing the clips. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah. I don't don't want to be fired for, for (laughs) there's, there's that, the Jerry and Frank and all, you know, the, the, the legal counsel and officers, but, just a little pushback. What CEO or what board member doesn't put their best interest first? I mean, isn't that kind of human nature? Yes and no. Uh, I, as to a certain extent, everyone has self-interest and that can't be avoided. 
But when you're making decisions for the firm, um, you are supposed to put the firm first. Does that mean there's there's always a right and a wrong decision or you have to always decide a way that is good for the firm and not good for you as a person? No, uh, but it does mean you have to look at every decision that's being made, whether you're an officer or a member of the board of directors um, as being something that has to be good for the short-term or long-term uh, nature of the firm. And this has been a, a huge issue in Delaware because of the way things are scripted out in a lot of cases that, or not a lot of cases, a few cases that seem to rely only on economic interests, which means, you know, uh, you just have to do the thing that makes the company the most money or gives it the most value for shareholders. That has, in my mind, never been the law in Delaware, uh, but we see it come up a lot in succession. You know, should we be doing this just for the money? It starts right in the first season with a, a transaction that they look into completing within the first two episodes. Um, so, <clears throat> um, you know, there there's definitely some self-interest in one of the officers, again, trying to avoid spoiler alerts here. But mm -hmm. um, one of the officers of the company clearly has his own interests at heart as he negotiates that transaction. But but ultimately, they're looking at it, you know, as to how much money it can produce for the firm and does it move them into a space that is needed for the firm. And so he can he decides he can do that. Now, whether he makes the right financial decision or not is another story. Um, but at least they're they're checking the box at looking at those things. Some of the cases dig down deeper and really find that things are personal motives. And uh, in those cases, there are more questions raised about whether there's a breach of fiduciary duty or at least whether best practices have been engaged. Um, and uh, and we teach a, a case that Walt Disney, the Walt Disney Company was was involved in that raises those kinds of questions. So that is likely to come up in my course next semester as well. Um, actually, I think it's Abigail Disney. It's some One of the Disney granddaughters is really, really trying to, you know, not favorably speak of the Disney's from a business perspective. Um, it seems to happen a lot of these families. Yeah, um, I guess. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to name all of them, but if we look, there's usually someone who wants to tell the truth and wants to bring things out. And again, no spoiler alerts on right. that. Succession. So what are the consequences of breaching one's fiduciary duty? You can actually- Companies, not once. I'm sorry, breaching companies' fiduciary duty. Yeah, so it's, you're actually breaching your fiduciary duty individually to the company. Right. Um, and so that, uh, I know that the nomenclature, the language is hard in this. Thank you for correcting me. actually can be personally liable um, as a manager for damages created from that. Uh, and that is uh, a violation of the general norm that when you're acting on behalf of a firm, it is the firm that's responsible and not you. So it basically takes you out of what would be um, a limited liability type situation uh, and into a space where really you're acting outside this, almost outside the scope of your authority by misbehaving under the relevant legal principles. No one wants to be responsible for the level of damages in a public company like Waystar Royco for breaching their fiduciary duty. But there could have been, and probably in real life would be, many lawsuits <laughs> we saw. <laughs> In the, it's just that's not their focus in this program. And this is one reason why I like to teach from it is not litigation. Almost every legal show, and if you're a pop culture fan, I think you'll back me up on this, relates to litigation because it's more fun to watch somebody arguing in court and a judge, you know, making people sit down and slamming a gavel on a on a desk than it is to watch people negotiate deals or um, and sit around a table or engage in compliance um, work. 
uh, or do general advisory work about somebody's business. And yet that's what more of us do. And so really by using succession to teach advanced business associations law and a little bit of securities regulation, what I'm trying to do is to show them it may not be sexy and on TV, right, uh, a lot, but there are real situations that can we can have a good time with on TV like we do in succession that give us the opportunity to look at the practice of law in this environment and to try and experiment with like, what happens off camera? What is Jerry doing off camera? What are the outside lawyers doing for these firms that are vying for uh, transactions? Again, trying not to share too much, but transactions with Waystar Royco, the, the company at issue. So to me, there's just, a, there's a wealth of stuff there that one can explore that shows that pop culture can be instructive. And there are aspects of Breaking Bad. Um, you know, for example, they ran a car wash, right? So right. money laundering operation, right? But okay, so it was a car wash. So, you know, who's advising on that? Uh, better call Saul, right? But uh, but he's a criminal law guy. So how is he advising them on business right. relating to a car wash, right? So, you know, right. there's just a lot um, that one can derive from some of these shows that I think we don't think about, uh, but that I started to become sensitive to because I taught a transactional lawyering lab for a few years for us as a 1L course. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things we did was point out how pop culture sort of ignores major aspects of the law that are areas in which each of us may practice. You know, it's funny. I'm So I'm teaching a class next semester and I'm looking for a place where, a, a clip where the students collaborate with a professor or collaborate with each other. And other than reversal of fortune has like a two minute clip with Alan Dershowitz and maybe a little bit of how to get away with murder, but you never see that. You never see the negotiations that go on behind the scenes. And I think that that's super important. Um, so on a scale of one to 10, how lifelike would you say succession is? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I guess I'd give it, I'd, I'd give it some good credit. I'm going to say a seven. Okay. The reason why it gets some good credibility for me is that there are, as a transactional business lawyer, I practiced for 15 years before I started teaching in 2000. Mm -hmm. There are some good things you see that happen in boardrooms that we don't get the opportunity to see unless we're in boardrooms. Mm -hmm. um, people misbehaving and people behaving well. A board that is domineered by a, um, a strong CEO. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I think those are, these will are things that we'll be talking about, you know, how do you deal with a board that is supposed to be a collective making decisions when you have uh, such a strong person who is really directing the show and maybe everyone is beholden to him or her. And there are a lot of cases, fiduciary duty cases that relate to that kind of behavior that we'll be able to explore. Um, also, uh, some of the merger and acquisition uh, environments that are shown in the show uh, are realistic with people cutting backroom deals behind the scenes and financing being difficult to get and being squirrely and people people looking for the same lawyers to do the same thing so that they can shut, uh, shut people out of the other side of a deal. I mean, those are all things that really happen that we don't talk about a lot right. in law school. Um, so, so those are things that I think are good. Where I take the three points off, maybe okay. uh, from a ten, is that uh, some of the scenes I think are a bit exaggerated for for theatrical effect. I don't. That's uh, that's not a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and as I said before, I think that timelines collapse a lot, and well, so <laughs> that's 
you know, it's hard to say that any one week or day, um, and the this, this show, one of the interesting things about Succession from a production standpoint is that the different seasons and the different episodes actually are not, they don't capture the same time space. So sometimes there's like a very long pause between episodes or within an episode. Sometimes an episode is very short and fast. They were very clever, I think, about the way that they they paced the show uh, in different seasons and in different episodes so that it, it's not like a direct like minute to minute or minute to month or minute to week. You know, some things get expanded out over the course of a season. Uh, again, not giving away too much and some things get compacted within a season so that a lot happens. Um, and uh, and I think that's that's partially why I have to say, eh, uh, I don't know whether it, I can really accept that as reality. Dramatic effect. Um, yes. Have you watched Billions? I have not watched Billions, but everybody keeps wanting to put it on my list. I just need more time in my day to watch okay. Billions. All right. Well, you because that takes place in a hedge fund, mm-hmm. um, but it's got a lot of legal issues. But, you know, as I'm speaking to you, well, also there's a lot of law, but the law is all from the um, attorney general suing the corporate entity kind of for, for right. wrongdoing. So it's a little different. Like I understand why succession work work better. And as you were speaking, the other thing I want to think about is, you know, I asked you earlier about Roman seeking approval of his father and how that might, and I don't think that's a spoiler alert either, but really to your point, it's the father, and this is where I think the whole Murdoch thing comes in, right? Who arguably could be manipulating the kids. And that could be a breach of fiduciary duty too, right? Yeah. So and I don't I don't think it's arguable in succession. I'll, be, <laughs> I'll admit, I think he's totally manipulating them. Um, and he's not always acting in the best interests of the firm. Uh there are there are points in time, again, I don't want to give anything away, where um his capacity could also be questioned and it is questioned, but he continues to act. And that's another way in which he could be breaching his fiduciary duty. So yes, by manipulating the kids and really manipulating the other members of the board, other than the kids in many aspects, you know, he has a very uh, interesting personality and, uh, and uses it and uses the strength of his position and his connections to be able to get his way in situations where at least arguably, and in many cases, I think actually it was not in the best interest of the firm. And that's not just with hindsight, because, you know, it's it's hard, right? But he wasn't starting off by doing the right thing. <laughs> that's, the, right, right. that's the point. He was starting off with the wrong end in mind. And I suspect it's hard to be ruthless and completely legal, right? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's some people who can do it, but I don't know. It seems I like- I uh, disagree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is so interesting. I I do want to say, and I think you would agree that, you know, everyone, every student needs to binge watch at some point because they just need that downtime. But one of the things that I think that's so fun about having a law degree is that you can binge watch and you can see what's right and what's wrong. So you're really kind of studying too. So we're giving you permission to binge watch a little bit. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I actually used to stay clear in law school of any law related uh, media, whether it was, uh, you know, movies or, or television, LA law, you know, in my, in my practice, I said, I'm not watching LA law. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't want to see that, uh, since I'm working in an office that's very similar to that. But, but I do think that if you are that kind of person and you can tolerate things, yeah, it gives you, um, one more way to think about, and maybe a more enticing 
maybe a more an easier way to think about some of the principles that we deal with in a law school classroom and how they, um, you know, how you would have behave differently. I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, you know, after an episode, do you think Jerry should have done that? <laughs> like that. So, and and that's a great question. And that, yeah. that is, you know, we'll approach those things, you know, and, and the answer is, well, maybe, maybe not, right? right. Or in some cases, no. Um, <laughs> some cases, right. Yes, absolutely, right? So, which is real life, because there are lots of things that are more black and white and other things that are definitely shades of gray when it comes to being a general counsel of a public company. Yeah, I, you know, and it's funny, I, I was actually the opposite of you because my favorite thing was to watch Law and & Order and spot the mistakes. Not that I knew them all, um, but I did. But you could spot enough of them, yeah. Yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, so this is really interesting. I want to take your class. <laughs> Thank you so You're much. You're invited into my classroom anytime. Okay, I may have to eavesdrop in. I'll have to come down and, you know. Actually, my very first law review article was published by the University of Tennessee, so I have a little loyalty. Oh, well, Leslie, delighted to hear that. So <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. This has really been interesting. And again, we're encouraging you all to watch Succession. You'll learn a lot from it. Agreed. Thank, thank you. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have a topic you'd like us to discuss or a professor or attorney with whom you'd like me to speak, send us an email at legaltensor at westacademic.com and send us any suggestions you may have. We love getting feedback. Have a great day. This podcast was created in collaboration with West Academic. Additional episodes can be found on the West Academic Study Aids Collection. Students may already have access through their school subscription and can check with their law school library for access. For a limited time, Legal Tensor listeners can save 15% on titles on the West Academic Store with the promo code TENSOR15 at checkout.